0: Over the past few days, I have been thinking so much about how we're heading into the election with a new Supreme Court justice. There's so much up in the air. And some of the cases that have been making news in the last few days are going to be very instructive for how this election plays out. And having this new justice, specifically having a 6-3 Supreme Court majority for conservative justices on the Supreme Court bench, may change how we expect certain things to play out. And that's even before we get to some big-picture items like abortion, immigration, the census, union busting, any number of things that are in the pipeline already for this administration, for this court, and for the next administration, which might end up having a lot of its priorities kind of still borne by... (laughs) But between deficit hawks on the left and the right and this uh, this new court that can really do quite a bit to stop some of the progress that we might anticipate from a Biden administration to try to put as much context and information as possible into my Vague prognostications I would like to bring in someone who is a friend Who is a very smart voice on this Eric Siegel is a professor at Georgia State College of Law He has his own podcast Which totally undermines all of his credibility It's called Supreme Myths And he's got two books One, also Supreme Myths uh, Why the Supreme Court's not a court Justices are not judges uh, And more recently, Originalism as Faith Of course, Originalism is a word we heard a lot During the Amy Coney Barrett hearings Eric, thank you so much for spending some time with me on this project at the table. Uh,
1: My pleasure, Jared, and it's always good to talk to you.
0: Very much likewise. Let's start with where we are just this week, because on Monday, on the Wisconsin deadline extension, ruled five to three. That would have given six additional days to receive absentee ballots beyond November 3, beyond election day. Most of these procedural decisions, no official reason is given, but that didn't stop justices... Most notably, Brett Kavanaugh, from laying out their thinking in both concurring and dissenting opinions. I was shocked by how sloppy the document was from Justice Kavanaugh. There's already been one major revision for, to the to the decision that he wrote after demands to get his facts straight from nobody smaller than the Vermont Secretary of State. Can you give me any context here as to how rare it is for this kind of decision to be revised so quickly? And what the hell is happening in Wisconsin? Because it's happening, it seems to be, all over the country.
1: Well, well let, let's talk about what's happening all over the country, because I think that's more general. I mean, Kavanaugh being sloppy is no surprise <laughs> him, him writing a totally partisan absurd opinion is no surprise sure when when, when Ka- i think you and i actually might have done a podcast when he was nominated and one of the things or something we talked and one uh, and one of the things we talked about with kavanaugh was he is republican party all the way down right his professional career was working for the bush administration was was working you know on the on bush versus gore for you know, during that nightmare, um, so he's going to do Republican things, and that's what he does, and that's not a big surprise. What's happening all over the country is is a little bit complicated, Jared. Um, so, what in a lot of places b- because of the pandemic, and then for other reasons, but but I think the pandemic's making it worse. Um, you have state constitutions that, are, that that talk the talk of voting rights, and you know I, I don't mean that's an insult. I mean you know they, they create voting rights. Then you have state legislatures passing laws about voting rights, and then you have two different types of courts uh, deciding cases involving voting rights, either state Supreme Courts or lower federal courts. And what the Supreme Court has said, based on nothing, just making stuff up, which is what they do in all areas of the law, whether it's abortion, campaign finance, or gun control, just make stuff up. If... They're reviewing the case from a state Supreme Court. When a state Supreme Court says, well, we think based on a state constitution, this should happen or that should happen, then they're likely to affirm it as they did in Pennsylvania, where the state Supreme Court, the Democratic state Supreme Court there said, there's going to be more time to count the ballots after the election. Legislature didn't want that, but they based it on state law, state Supreme Court, and the court left it alone. When a lower federal court, a federal court judge, interprets all of this in a way that grants more voting rights, the Supreme Court has said, no, we're not going to let you do that. Um, and I can give you the legal reasons, but they're not relevant because it's not a legal thing. Um, uh, it's just it's just them their belief that federal judges shouldn't be doing this kind of thing, even though the right to vote you would think would be a pretty important constitutional right. So now there's a footnote to that, which is apparently Kavanaugh Thomas and Alito and maybe Gorsuch, probably Gorsuch, the four Fox News justices, (laughs) they're going to, they've said that they're going to second guess state Supreme Court decisions based on state constitutions. Now you might say, wait a minute, um, federal courts should only decide federal issues like that. Why are they second guessing a state Supreme Court decision on a state interpretation, right? That doesn't on its surface make sense. And the long and short of it is in Bush versus Gore, Justice Rehnquist wrote a kind of separate concurring opinion, only only supported by two justices and rejected by six, that said the Constitution basically gives to the legislature the right to control the time, manner, and place of elections. Now, Congress can overturn that if it wants to, but but Congress is not relevant here, so forget Congress. <laughs> It's, when
0: when is you know what you don't have time to answer when is Congress relevant? Just yeah. please continue. Yeah. Uh, well, the answer is when
1: they pass a law. So, for example, uh, when they when they pass a law to that effect, but they haven't in these cases. So, right. um, occasionally they do, but they haven't here. Single member districts is a creation of Congress, not the Constitution. Single member districts is a creation of Congress, not the Constitution. But moving on, um, so. What they're saying is the word legislature in Article 2 of the Constitution, which gives to state legislatures the right to control elections, means that if the state Supreme Court is at odds with the state legislature, these four Fox News justices are saying we go with the legislature, not the state Supreme Court, even on issues of state law, Jared.
0: Now, I'm guessing, Eric, that if the state legislature and more state legislatures are Republican in this country, uh, than, than democratic uh, affiliated, that, that gives the, the patina of a, a more, uh, neutral position when it's actually not.
1: Correct. I have no doubt that if there were 29 or 30 or 33 Democrat legislatures, they'd find some way to not apply this. Talk. And maybe, well, Jared, just so your listeners are clear. The Supreme Court, no Supreme Court majority of five justices has ever said what I just said, ever. This is all a function of one opinion in Bush versus Gore. And then Kavanaugh is the first Supreme Court this week. It's Friday. It feels like this week has lasted 25 days. It's true. But whatever day, whatever day it was that Kavanaugh wrote his opinion, um, I think it was in the North Carolina case. Um, maybe the Wisconsin case. I apologize. But whichever I think so it was many. the
0: Wisconsin case. Okay. There
1: have been so many. Yeah. Um when he cited Bush versus Gore for in a footnote for the proposition I just talked about and when, and when he relied on it in a substantive way, he's the first Supreme Court justice in history
0: to do that. And I want to talk about that specifically because for three reasons. One, it, as you say, it's new. Two, it was specifically and explicitly said not to be used as precedent by the Supreme Court at the time. They said, look, this is a one-shot deal. Do not use Bush v. Gore as precedent. And three, the third...
1: Just to be clear, they didn't say don't use it as precedent, but they did say it's a one-shot deal. Okay.
0: And the the third thing, though, is you mentioned that Kavanaugh is, is a swamp creature of the Bush v. Gore era. So is Amy Coney Barrett. And this seems to be... In a way that almost feels analogous to the aftermath of Watergate, you know, when you see the the borking of the Supreme Court a little bit, that this is now payola back for the people who've kind of made their bones in the legal profession after and during that time that they are now being promoted in this way. It's no surprise that as you describe these justices, that they have essentially earned their right to be where they are because of their partisan, not their legal background, but because of their partisan experience.
1: Not just Kavanaugh and Barrett, but Chief Justice Roberts of as well. Um I don't so I agree with I I well, I'm not I'm I am not going to suggest there was a direct quid pro quo here, because I don't think there was. Um but Certainly, it helps their resumes, right? Um, but more importantly, that's not why Judge Barrett is here. Uh, Trump, I mean, it's just not. It, it, if if a year ago, it had turned out that Trump was just doing great and everybody loved him and he was going to be reelected, you know, in, a, in, a, in an FDR kind of way, you know, if that were the hypothetical, it would, st- so, so he doesn't need Judge Barrett's vote for anything in voting because he's going to win anyway. It's still Judge Barrett. Because her mission is to overturn Roe versus Wade. Well, make make make, make, make no mistake.
0: And I do want to talk about Roe versus Wade, but I there's so much. Just because we expect, I think there are something like sixteen cases in the pipeline, including a decision that we expect at some point today. Again, this is Friday, as you and I are having this conversation. The Supreme Court said back on Monday that they're going to be reviewing a Mississippi 15-week ban. On abortion, I do want to get, to, I have a whole set of conversation points I want to bring up about abortion, but I don't want to get away from election day. And, and again, to talk about this kind of justification for let, let's be clear, the bullshit that the president is putting out right now on that we need to have some kind of official result on election night, which is never happened in our history. And if we want to talk about founders' intent, these guys were you know, shipping votes around by mule, I think, and at the founding. So I don't even know where they would get a result like that. But that's the kind of thing that Kavanaugh said we need. I don't know where he's getting that other than Trump's tweets. Yes,
1: he did. No, you, you know where he's getting that. He swore vengeance against the Democrat in swear. He promised vengeance against the Democratic Party. Right. He did. He did. Uh, listen, I, you know, Chad, you, you we've known each other a long time. Um, for your listeners, let me just summarize, if I may, like in two minutes, the Supreme Court of the United States. Liberal judges vote liberal. Conservative judges vote conservative. <laughs> moderate judges vote moderate. So Sotomayor and Ginsburg, two women, i two people, you know, obviously I respect Ginsburg, you know, beyond words, description, but not because of her Supreme Court activity, because we have not before that. Uh, she and Sotomayor, would vote the liberal progressive result in every case you and I care about. All right, so maybe it's only 97% of the cases. What difference does it make? Alito and Thomas vote incredibly conservative, 97 or 8% of the time. And then people say, all right, Siegel, but what about Kennedy? What about Souter? What about White? What about all these judges who would sometimes vote conservative, sometimes vote liberal? a fair description and the answer is because they were moderate politicians (laughs) they weren't far left they weren't far right. right they were in the middle so so sometimes kennedy veered right frankly most of the time he veered right but in some really important cases he veered left justice white was a democrat appointed by uh you know um john f kennedy but he veered right a lot because he was a moderate politician so of course kavanaugh being I'm not sure if he's far left or far. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not sure if he's yet far right. like Thomas and Alito. we don't have enough. We don't have enough data for that. But what we do know about him is he's GOP all the way down, and that's what's showing now. Yeah, that's that's not more complicated than that.
0: I I want you to. I, I feel like this is not not a confession, but. A, I I was originally, I think because when we first met and when, you know, the, your book, your first book came out, I think in what, like 2012?
1: Yeah, 2012. It's a long time ago.
0: At this point, a long time ago. And I was very skeptical. And I think, you know, like a lot of people who just have these more idealistic senses, I was I was really resistant to the idea that this was just, these are just nine politicians who have just been kind of put on a, a super legislature, essentially. I... I cannot find any, I, I have come around to your way of thinking in such a big way, and I, I do want to, it 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 will strike some people, I mi- maybe there's no cynicism left, because I feel like we've all been moved, the Overton window on what is cynical at this point is so <laughs> different Sorry. than what, I felt, I really believed eight years ago that you were cynical, and now I think, I almost think that you were underselling it, and that, <laughs> it shows you where, where I am. I,
1: well, Jared, to make you feel Benny better.
0: I won't, um, but go ahead.
1: No, this might. <laughs> It really might. Uh, in 2012, you know, I, my book comes out, and I do a, you know, not not a book tour like someone who wrote a commercial book, but you know, I go to a lot of law schools to talk about it. I'm invited to the Kiwanis Club and Rotary Club and all that stuff. Um, and at that time, uh, lawyers and law professors thought I was crazy. And smart accountants, doctors, professional people who, who were really bright and read a lot but didn't study the court were like, well, of course, what do you, they have unlimited <laughs> power for life. What would, you, what would you expect them to do? But, more, but wait, more importantly, political scientists who study the Supreme Court on an empirical basis. 98% agree with me and, and have, by the way, half for 50 years. I don't, I, I, should say, I agree with them. I mean, I'm not, you know, I put it, I put it differently than they put it. Cause I'm in, I'm in the law field, but, but so, so, so since 2012, now my new book came out, Originalism of Faith in 2018. And I actually did do a lot of speaking about that. I was more established in my career, social media, frankly, you were a big part of my career early on, um, on, on Pete's show, Pete Dominic's show and gave me a lot of airtime and, and on POTUS and all that stuff. And then later on POTUS, when, after Pete left POTUS. Um, and now, when I talk to lawyers and law professors, other than the true blue originalists, who, I'm, who I'm, you know, we have to deal with, um, people are like, yeah, of course. Uh, here, It's not complicated. You have unreviewable power for life. Are you going to let a pre-existing theoretical commitment stop you from doing what you think is really important?
0: No, you're not. I, there's something about absolute power. I can't remember what it is. You've laid out this this period of history for political scientists, and I feel like it was almost a throwaway, but it perfectly dovetails with this period that I want to talk about of the last 40 or 50 years or so. And we know that the conservative jurisprudence project has shaped, for example, as we've talked about for the last 10, 15 minutes of this conversation— a desire to minimize the effect of Democratic voting in elections for the benefit, small d Democratic, for the benefit of large R Republicans. The other major goal of the last 40 to 50 years also seems in sight, and that's exactly what you alluded to, not alluded to, said explicitly a minute ago when you talked about Roe versus Wade. And this is where Amy Coney Barrett comes in, a judge who, if you built her in a lab, could not have been more perfectly... Uh, you know, composed to overturn this case. Like I said, lots of cases already making their way in the pipeline to the Supreme Court, and we are expecting some announcement today from the Supreme Court on the Mississippi 15-week ban. This was a uh, a law that was passed in Mississippi back in 2018 that blocks abortion after 15 weeks. Barrett will be part of the decision whether to hear that case or not. Let's talk about What she will do, as far as you're concerned, with her unlimited lifetime power? Well, first
1: of all, in this case today, I would be shocked if the court announces it took it. Um, The lower court struck down the six-week ban, of course, because, I mean, the 12, uh, sorry, the 15-week ban, because it had to under binding precedent. Um, And (laughs) five days before the election, now, now I have to say, if I, I, I am... I am sure Justice Roberts, the last thing he wants is for the court to announce it's hearing this case, you know, this term. Um, however, however, the other five, the five Fox News justices, I don't know. I mean, that that but I would be shocked. I mean, it would create if they agree to take the case, Jared, they're only going to take it to reverse it. Right. right. And to announce that today.
0: But they don't need Roberts to sign on to take it. They but only even, need four. Right.
1: But here's what Brett Kavanaugh knows if he's smart. No, I'm not sure he's smart, to be honest. Um, but if he is, he knows that the Republican Party depends on opposition to Roe and Casey to turn out the evangelical vote. He knows that Trump can't win without the evangelical vote um, turning out. And this could diminish the evangelical vote turning out, because if they take it, Then New York Times and Washington Post or even maybe Fox News will report, ah, the court's finally going to, you know, Yeah, uh, and that's not what they want five days before an election. Now, having said that, uh, you never know. Uh, But eventually, eventually, this court is going to dissect, manipulate, undercut Roe and Casey, maybe for one to five years, one to four or five years. And then reverse it in year four or five. And that's not that's not debatable unless the court changes.
0: Well, let me ask you about that timeline because li- in my mind, having no legal expertise or background, here's the the reality. You you undo Roe, and by the way, we have the luxury of being as cavalier about this because neither of us is getting pregnant anytime soon, right?
1: Well, well I'll hold on on that thought though. I, I have three daughters, tw- twenty nine, twelve, and eleven. Um and um sure. The Roe being overturned does not automatically translate to them not being able to secure abortions because I have money. I mean, I'm out right, right? Enough
0: money, and that's 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 a very important you're distinction. Right. I have enough
1: money to fly them or drive them to a different state should they need an abortion or one.
0: And, and that gets to my point, which was even you know, you're saying that it would be overturned in court, but I'm thinking about. Even if it weren't overturned in court, you would have a few years where essentially 20 or so states likely ban or uh, enforce existing bans against medical abortion. But how long is that tenable? I would almost imagine a few years where there would be a social push, whether from corporations or consumers, that would, like we saw around the Obergefell ruling, where all of a sudden you limit businesses being done in states. Like you could see the NCAA saying, well, we're not going to do— Business, you know, Alabama loves football. Well, we're not going to do anything in fo- in Alabama until their abortion ban yeah, is overturned. And, and,
1: I, and I'll tell you why.
0: Now, I would say that- why, why is this different yeah. than what we saw around L- right. anti LGBT provisions? Because that was a huge push for that yeah, issue.
1: It's, it's very, very different. So my daughter is twelve okay. and eleven, and then, so now, now now people are going to listen to this and go, "This guy's a law professor." And they're not talking about law. And it's fine for him to have his own opinions. And that's a fair critique about what I'm about to say. Let me just say what I'm about to say. That constitutional law is about social conditions. So to be a constitutional law expert, one has to study those. If you want to do it right, there's no other way. So my daughters, 12 and 11. To them, uh, L- the idea that LGBTQ people wouldn't be treated equally under the law is literally foreign to them. Like they don't even... It's not even a question. Like they, they can't even get there. They just assume, if, well, well, so what if you're gay? That, that, okay. Sure. And I think for most 18 to 30-year-olds, it's the same. And in fact, that's the re- – and this, this, now I can bring it back to law. That is the reason Gorsuch and Roberts joined the Title VII opinion. It wasn't because of textualism. I think textualism worked the other way. They joined the <laughs> uh, the – the title seven opinion employment discrimination saying that get g- gays and lesbians and transgender folks get the protection of employment discrimination laws that were passed before that anybody ever thought that the 65% of America, I did, I did research like 65 or 68% of Americans think that gays and lesbians should have equal employment discrimination rights at work as non gays and lesbians. So there's this huge social movement that is except other than, Look, other than evangelicals, everybody accepts gays and lesbians. And the evangelicals are about 20%. So, I mean, it makes sense. That's not true for abortion. There are progressive girls in their teens who have legitimate doubts about this issue. Um, As opposed to the LGBTQ issue, which unless you're going to a church school or synagogue school or mosque school, you're basically, of course, why not? They're people like us. So I don't think there'll be that corporate pressure you're talking about. There isn't the same social movement. Now, having said all that, what I have been telling I I'm a constant volunteer for Planned Parenthood. I met my wife uh talking, giving a speech to Planned Parenthood. I owe I owe I owe my life to Planned Parenthood in that sense. Um <laughs> she's my soulmate. Um so um I've been pushing them for a decade. Because you know, I think Roe was wrongly decided, right? You know that. Um I've been pushing them for a decade to spend more money on education than litigation Um, because this day was coming. It was relatively inevitable. Um, And we need to get 12, 13, 15, 18 year old boys and girls uh, in the same mindset about choice, not abortion, but choice as they have about LGBTQ rights, where people would be shrugging and going, well, look, of course, reasonable people can disagree about abortion. And of course, it's reasonable to say that it's murder. So don't have an abortion, but don't impose those values, which are just values, not data driven um, to on me. Just, you then sure. don't have an abortion, but don't make me not have an abortion. And then we'll all go home happy. That's where we have to get to. But Jared, we are not there.
0: You think that this will be overturned in the court and then reversed within one to four years. Why? Well,
1: what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is is there'll be a case eventually. Probably probably involving clinics. But there'll be a case that sounds fairly not that important. Like the 15 week ban is really important, but there'll be a case with a less important infringement on, on abortion. And the court will take that case, and it'll re- like Justice Roberts did that in June. And I mean, he concurred in the case that, that affirmed the overtur- overturning of Louisiana's ridiculous clinic laws about admitting privileges. But Roberts then kind of changed the abortion test a little bit. They're going to do that again. And they're going to make state restrictions on clinics and abortions less actionable and less acceptable to overturning. And they'll do that for a few years. And then they'll say, this is how constitutional law normally operates. They'll say, look, we we had these cases, Roe and Casey, but they've been undercut now by three, four, five of our decisions over the last three, four years. Uh, There's nothing left of it. And now we overturn it altogether. By the way, that is what Justice Roberts did more or less with the Voting Rights Act. First, he issued a, a narrow decision that, that, that avoided the issue. But in that opinion, he laid the groundwork for his objection to, to the Voting Rights Act. And then and he kind of warned Congress about it. And then a few years later, he overturned it. That's how he operated.
0: Is that kind of the same trajectory you see with Obamacare? Because that's coming down no, the pike. I do not. Okay. Well, let me ask you about Obamacare then specifically, because we know you mentioned just a few minutes ago. First of all, the premise of your entire scholarship is that these are politicians. And as yeah, politicians- yeah, I, I got to interrupt. I don't think everything is partisan. I think
1: it's all values. Partisanship being a subset of values. Okay.
0: Well, and, that, and that's fair. That's a fair distinction. But these are people who are acting very politically minded when they scheduled the announcement on the ACA for a week after the election. And you mentioned that uh, a few minutes ago we were talking about oh I don't think John Roberts wants this uh 5 days before the election when we were talking about uh, abortion in the context of the Mississippi ban. Now they have clearly docketed something for after the election. Why did they do that and what do you anticipate on November 10th?
1: I I, I don't think it is incorrect for the supreme court to have oral argument in a case that's going to be heard during a pandemic by you know hopefully millions of americans when i say heard you know in the past they wouldn't have heard it but now we know they will because of the pandemic and the supreme court allowing oral live oral arguments to be live streamed, not not visual but oral um i don't blame them for for having this case after the election because john roberts has a history and i I applaud this to a point. This is what he did in 2012. He kind of took the court out of the election by not overturning Obamacare three months before, right. which was the right thing to do. Um, and I think that's what he did with the abortion case in June. He didn't want abortion, the Supreme Court's abortion stuff front and center. And he probably didn't want Obamacare front and center. Um, but having said that, let me just be clear. Um, they're not going to overturn Obamacare this, this term. They're just not. Don't worry. People shouldn't worry about it. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. This case is so frivolous and so bad that someone like Jonathan Adler, a law professor at Case Western, who has been my adversary on the Affordable Care Act for, well, since it was passed, who I debated innumerable times, who has been, he is the ACA killer. He has done everything he can to slay it, broccoli and, and everything else. He wrote an amicus brief saying this case must be dismissed. It has no merit. It is frivolous. It's terrible. Um, He he said, he said, um, I don't like the Affordable Care Act, um, but this case is not the one to overturn. And uh, other conservatives have said that too. Um, I don't want to necessarily go into the details of it, but suffice it to say, Congress in this is all it takes. Congress in 2017 took out. The mandate from the law, based now, of course, Roberts turned the mandate into a tax. But there was a penalty for not buying health insurance. Uh, they said that penalty was zero, so that that part of the law just, in effect, has no function anymore. A forum-shopped Texas judge who had overturned like four Obama laws before this, he was totally forum-shopped, uh, ruled the ACA unconstitutional because he said now that the Mandate is no longer a tax, but it's back to being a mandate because it's zero. That's unconstitutional and you can't sever that part from the rest of the law and therefore I strike it all down. Um, And of course, we know that the Congress that took out the mandate and the tax or the penalty whatever you want to call it, also uh, left the entire rest of the law intact. So we know what the 2017 Congress wanted to do. It wanted this law without the mandate. And there's nothing illegal, unconstitutional, or wrong about that. And the the court's not gonna go for it. Now Barrett knows, but the court's not going to.
0: When you talk about John Roberts doesn't want this before the election, and you applaud that, are you accusing him? Because some people will look at this, many Republicans have looked at him. Not you, obviously. Your, your, your politics are are pretty clear and on the other side of the spectrum. But a lot of people have looked at him and accused him of kind of putting a, a wet finger to the wind and saying, which way is, the, is it blowing? I, I look at this, when you say and applaud him for, for respecting these elections, is he doing that as an institutionalist, as the chief justice of the court? Or is he doing it as a partisan Republican or is he doing it for some other reason? I'm trying to understand why you're, you're positive on it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so When I say positive, you know, I mean 98%.
0: Well, I would never assume that you're completely happy, Eric, but that's because I know you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right before you and I started talking,
0: I, I, was, I was explaining to
1: this reporter in New York Magazine that when, when you ask me why a Supreme Court does something, justice does something, I'm very skeptical of that question for this reason. Decisions like this, the internal perspective is not enough, and the external perspective is not enough. So, if I make a very hard parenting decision with my wife, and we go through all the, should my twelve-year-old get a cell phone? You know, well, it's too early, but her friends have it. We're in a pandemic. Well, she has to talk to her friends, but, but but it's too early. And we go through it all, and then we make a reasoned, mature, deliberative decision. I can't explain to you all the factors that, you know, I mean, right? How I was parented you know other i mean my insecurities uh, they all come into play nor could someone else looking at it who knew me who knew me intimately be able to explain it's a combination of the two perspectives there's no question justice roberts from an external perspective is an institutionalist um now he's a very conservative institutionalist but he has some regard for the enduring legacy of the court because there haven't been very many chief justices. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have the number, number to my head, but I mean, it's like I think it's less than 20 um, in American history. So um, so he definitely is 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 definitely a factor for him. What the other factors are, 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 I mean, he's a Republican. He's conservative. He hates the Voting Rights Act. And that showed he hated it. In, in 1981, he hated it. As a young lawyer for the Justice Department he wrote in 1982, he wrote a memo attacking the Voting Rights Act. He's always hated it. It's like Justice Kennedy. Justice Kennedy was always in favor of gay rights. He just was. He had a mentor who was gay and closeted. And he saw that person, happened to be a dean of a law school, he saw that person undergo the horror of being in the closet. It had a major lasting impact on him. Yeah. That's pretty much what explains Obergefell and other cases. But
0: Eric, they're calling balls and strikes. Why would somebody? I just don't understand.
1: (laughs) That was just Roberts wanting to be confirmed.
0: Um, (laughs) so, So I think Roberts
1: cares about the institutional legacy of the court, of his chief justiceship, and that and Judge retired Judge Posner, who some of your listeners might have heard of, and I, we were good friends. We used to yell at each other because Posner thought that was perfectly appropriate for him. He didn't like John Roberts at all, but he thought that was perfectly appropriate. Yeah. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but let's all agree it's not law. Whatever that is, and, and Posner agrees with that. Whatever whatever that concern is, has nothing to do with law or text or history. Let's just be clear about that. It's politics. Um, I, I I think he wants to be remembered as a conservative chief justice who did his best to um, avoid interjecting the court unnecessarily in societal debates, and yeah. we see that in the gun area, right, where they have not taken a gun case, uh, decided a gun case since 2010 um, of any import. Um, now there were some, so so I don't think Roberts cares about guns either way. I mean, he's probably has the typical Republican, you know, Second Amendment creates a private right, but he probably is then kind of ambivalent about what that means. And that's why they haven't taken a case in 10 years. He is not ambivalent about the Voting Rights Act. He is not ambivalent about abortion. Um, and that's going to play out.
0: This is my last question for you, Eric, which is a 6-3 court could block major legislation from a Biden administration. Whether it's reshaping the federal judiciary, whether it's climate change, the environment, same-sex couple adoption, immigration, a big area there for the the court to intervene. Independent federal agencies, we've seen a number of issues uh, with that kind of administrative law question. The census, we saw such a boondoggle with this census that started late, ended early, and had to deal with the pandemic. This could potentially throttle some of the progress that this next administration could have, even if we were to have unified Democratic Party government among the elected branches. What issues are you expecting this court to get excited about? And how do you imagine a 6-3 Republican, a 6-3 conservative majority might uh, change change the direction of the wind?
1: So they definitely are going to change the law of abortion over time. They are going to eventually uh, Protect gun rights more than has been protected, because they haven't they haven't protected any gun rights. The Supreme Court in its history has struck down one gun law, if you don't count there was a case out of Massachusetts involving tasers or something, but it wasn't a big case. Basically, they said you have a right to have a handgun in your home, and that's it. The other rights come from lower courts. The Supreme Court hasn't ever said anything more than that. They're I think I don't think Roberts will, but but there are five votes to definitely strengthen gun rights, they are most of all, Jared, um, where this court will do its most damage because Gorsuch is already on record. Um, So they don't need Roberts. They have five votes without John Roberts for this, but I think he'll be a sixth anyway. They're going to let claims of religious discrimination, which they refer to as religious liberty, but is really religious discrimination. They're going to elevate those over the claims of gays and lesbians. And that's going to happen. That's inevitable. Um, and that's going to be really sad. And it's going to make yeah. a, a, what, what, what the separation of church and state should mean is neutrality between the government and religion. This is going not to be neutrality. This is going to be religious superiority. By the way, all of that makes sense because that's what the evangelicals want. And Jared, honestly, the, the Trump administration is just effectively the evangelical administration. He has put them in HHS at every level. They do everything they can to weaken uh, LGBTQ rights, to strengthen claims of religious discrimination. And this court is going to reflect that unless it is packed or stacked or added to for a very long time. And by the way, that's, I think, one of the most egregious. You know, I think, uh, I think the courts should stay out of abortion, probably. Um, I think they should stay out of guns. They won't. But to elevate claims of religious discrimination over the rights of LGBTq people is going to be out of step with much of america and 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 they're going to do that that one could come back to haunt them ten years from now
0: well and and one of the the most profound things that I saw from a person uh, a gay reporter that i that i you know, like quite a bit, and who's been on this conversation said, you know, if, if Amy Coney Barrett feels out of touch now, imagine when she's still alive in forty years and deciding things, how bad it's going to sound. So I just Eric, in a, in a few months, we should have you come back because I'd love to talk to you about everything you just mentioned as term in terms of relief and changing the path of the courts because there's a big question about what the next administration can and should do. To either change the size of the federal judiciary, change the size of the Supreme Court, how to manage that and how to make sure that this is not uh, that the the Trump legacy is not to throttle the progress. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that in a future conversation. Once we have this election passed us, but for the next few days, please stay safe, stay, uh, I know that you've just gotten through this storm, uh, this Zeta storm that's made its way through, uh, through Georgia and elsewhere around the country, where, Georgia where you are, um, so thank you for the time, this is Eric Siegel, who's a professor at Georgia State College of Law, uh, I'll link his podcast and his books to make sure that you can find them if you haven't already, Eric, thank you so much for spending some time with me at the table.
1: Uh, my pleasure, Jared, and by the way, you said a few days, this election, I don't think, is going to be decided in a few days. Well, that's
0: completely wrong. Even the founders were done on November 4th. Come on. Oh, wait a second. No, they were still trucking in votes from all over the day. Thank
1: all you, right. Thank I really enjoyed it. Thank you very
0: Likewise, much. Likewise, Eric. Stay safe.